Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. One of the more painful realities of life is that, well, life can be um, painful. (laughs) We all know the pain of goodbyes and distance. We also know the pain of failure, regrets, uh, those things that we look back on, and it's like, man, if I could, if I could do something over, I would, I would do that over. We know those, those types of pains, that, right? Some in this room know the pain of a crushing diagnosis, that heart-dropping moment when the doctor utters those words. Some know the pain of a debilitating disease, injury, some even chronic pain this morning. Life can be painful. Add on to that, some of us in this room have lost loved ones and experienced the deep pain of saying not just goodbye, see you at Christmas, but like goodbye, goodbye, and have held the hand of a loved one, a mom, a dad, a sibling, a friend, even a child as they pass from this world. It's painful. Life is painful. And yet there's this unique pain, there's a different kind of pain that comes when all of a sudden you experience the pain that is caused by somebody else, right? When they're the ones that inflict the pain, it it wounds you in a different way, almost more deeply when it comes from somebody else toward you. As when we step into Psalm 63, I wanna put that in your minds because we are stepping into an unimaginably painful moment in David's life. If you look at the top heading of Psalm 63, you'll see these words. So if you've got your Bible, look at Psalm 63. Right before verse one, it says this, a Psalm of David. So we know that David wrote this Psalm. And then it says this, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Uh, When you think wilderness, don't think that David's on some like fun, like boundary waters trip, like a wilderness adventure trip. This is not like a camp out. Uh, David is in the wilderness because he's running for his life. That's what he said in verse 9. That's what he's implying there, that there are these people that intend to destroy his life. That's why he's in the wilderness. Two times in David's life, he had to flee to the Judean wilderness to save his life. The first time was when Saul chased him into the wilderness. And if you want to read this story, you can go to 1 Samuel 23 but King Saul chases him into the wilderness and David hides out there for a while uh, to find some safety. I don't think that's what Psalm 63 is talking about is the time when David flees to the wilderness because Saul is chasing him because in verse nine, you see that David refers to himself as the king. And in First Samuel 23, Saul's the king, not David. So I don't think that that's it. So there's only one other time when David flees to the Judean wilderness. Only one time when David is both a king and flees to the Judean wilderness. And it's in 2 Samuel 12. It actually ties into our passage from last week. You guys remember in 2 Samuel 12, when Nathan comes and confronts David about his affair, he says two things to him. He says, hey, because of your sin, this child that you just had is going to die. And then second, the sword will never leave your household. 
Like your household now is going to be defined by division, chaos, bloodshed, those things. And it's just three chapters later that David is fleeing into the Judean wilderness because there's a rebellion afoot in his kingdom. A man has emerged that wants to kill him and overthrow his throne, and that person was his son, Absalom. It's Father's Day, and I say this like, guys, I, I, don't, I don't have any joy in life that trumps, other than my marriage and my joy with Christ, I don't have any joy in life that trumps the joy of being a dad. I cannot imagine the pain that is caused when you're experiencing family brokenness to this level, that your own son would rather you be dead and take what's yours. And then to know, like, in the midst of it all, that somehow it's like, it's, it's kind of your fault, right? As Nathan had said. This is an incredibly painful time in David's life. This is the backdrop of Psalm 63. And I mentioned this about five weeks ago when we started the Psalm series, that the Psalms provides for us this beautiful opportunity that if you want a spiritual mentor, this is it. That in the Psalms, what we get is we get this front row seat to see how God reveals himself to his people and then to watch how our brothers and sisters in the faith respond to God. And as he reveals himself to them, how they respond. And so today... What Psalm 63 is going to answer for us is what do you do? What do you do when life backs you into a corner, when it's consuming you with temptations toward anxiety or bitterness? What do you do? Psalm 63 answers the question simply, what do we do when life hurts? Where do we go? How do we respond? If you want like an outline for today, if you're a note taker, kind of a general flow for our time this morning, I'm going to look at this in just two parts. I'm going to spend a lot of time in first part and then uh, less time in the second part. But this psalm actually has kind of two distinct but complementary parts to it called, if you're, if you know like poetic language, uh, called strophes. And so the first part is verses one through five. And what happens in just the flow of movement there is he starts with a longing for God that moves into a reflection on God's goodness and ends with praise. And he starts over in verse six with the second part where he starts with a longing for God. This time he moves toward a reflection on God's justice and then ends with praise. So similar like complementary flows, but two parts that work together to create one song. So we're gonna start in verse one, but actually specifically with the first five words of this text, Psalm 63. He starts this way, in the middle of incredible pain, these five words, they're so important. God, you are my God. The first thing that he does is he establishes God as his, what I would say, his north star. Church, I think the first thing we gotta take note of in Psalm 63, as far as like, how do we respond when life gets painful, is the first thing you gotta do is you gotta establish your North Star. You gotta find this fixed point, like this, this, this solid ground, this, this fixed point in the sky that, that's gonna give you direction now on where to go from here. And the first thing that he does here is he establishes God as his North Star. I remember 
a time, and, and there's more recent examples in this. Um, this one was just particularly memorable. Because I remember a day where I was like mentally, emotionally, and spiritually just unraveled. I'm not even gonna try to hide it. It wasn't like I was unraveling, I was like unraveled. It just seemed like all of life was hitting me at once. This was like three, four years ago. And I remember I was sitting in my office here in, in this building. It was like mid-morning on a Tuesday. And I was like, I should just go home. Like at this point, I am no good to anybody or to any task that I could give myself to. So I sent an email to Jen, said I'm, I'm taking the afternoon as vacation. And I just, I just went home kind of at a loss. Had that awkward interaction, you know, where like you walk into your house and my, my wife at that point, she was staying home with our kids. So like, like I walk into the house, she's like, oh, I didn't expect you to be home today. I'm like, yeah, I decided to take the afternoon off. I'm just not feeling, you know, and we had some awkward conversation about like, I wish you would have planned this because like this could have been more helpful if I had known ahead of time and all that. And I'm, I was like struggling to find words, and it was just this awkward thing, like, because I'm, I'm typically pretty good with words. I had no ability even to put into words, like, where I was at at that moment. Have you ever had a moment like that? Like, so disoriented, so overwhelmed, so consumed by realities of life, you just didn't know what to do. You didn't even know how to explain it. Sadly, and I'm curious how you respond in those times. For me, my, my go-tos are often, uh, like I'll typically start, if I'm, if I'm starting to like feel a bit disoriented, I'll start with like the personal pep talks. You know, my favorite line to myself is suck it up, buttercup. And it's like, that's kind of something that was thrown at me as a kid in my household. It's kind of like a fun, playful way to be like, be tough. You know, so I'll start typically with the personal pep talks. Often then I will move into like, I'll just bury myself into just tasks. And so if I can just... Um, consume my thoughts, you know, or distract them enough with just tasks that, that, that helps me avoid, you know, all the disoriented feelings. Uh, and if that doesn't work, then typically I'll start chasing comforts like food, entertainment, naps. I'll call up a friend. You know, like, like those are things that I can often run to. And it's, it's wild, you know, as I reflect on how I often respond to these disorienting times, and maybe you're doing the same thing now. Isn't it wild that we spend so much energy chasing after all these things rather than just clinging to God. Like, why is it that we're, when we get into these times of pain, we run to almost anything else, we cling to almost anything else other than God? Or why is it that when life gets painful, it's often in the times when life is painful that we withdraw from the things of God? We withdraw from Christian community or connection groups. We stop reading our Bibles. We stop praying. Of all the times that we should be diving into the things of God, we begin to withdraw and go, well, I just, I don't feel it. I guess it's just a good night for me to stay home. Why do we do that? Why do I do that? Notice here just five words in. David's circumstances have not caused him to withdraw from God. They have caused him to lean in and eagerly pursue God. He begins by setting God as his north star. God, the one who is sovereign over everything and everyone, you are my God. 
And I just want to throw this invitation out this morning. I'm going to try to individualize this to each person in the room. If you're in a spot right now where you're overwhelmed by the pains of life, can we just pause for a moment and just pray this simple prayer of declaration together? Can we do this? All right, let's bow our heads. Just pray this with me. God, you are my God. Amen. Amen. Church, there's just something about that that just puts your feet on settled ground, right? Establishes that fixed point. Start there, right? When life gets painful, start there. Establish your North Star. Second thing, though, I think we should take notice of here and how we should respond to painful times in life is notice how active David is in pursuing God. Let's just take note of this thing. First, he says, verse 1, he says, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. Right? We've already established that David is in the wilderness. When you think of wilderness, don't think lush jungles. Think something like this. This is what the Judean wilderness looks like. So when David uses words like, I thirst for you, likely physically at that moment, he is genuinely thirsty. That's where he's hanging out right now to kind of stay safe. He's likely thirsty, but that's not the biggest thought on his mind. What trumps all of that is like, I need water, but like God, my need for him trumps all of that. There's desperation in his voice. God, I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. And now watch how every part of his body is engaged in this pursuit. He engages his eyes. Verse 2, so I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. He engages his lips. Look at verse 3. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you. So he's engaging his eyes, he's engaging his lips, now he's engaging his hands. At your name, I will lift up my hands. And I could keep going. Like he's, he's full body engaged in this pursuit of God. Guys, in the times when life gets painful, do not passively sit back. God is inviting you to actively pursue him. And we can pursue him knowing that regardless of how we feel, he is, in fact, close to us, as Psalm 138 said, or just look at verse 8, Psalm 63, 8. I follow close to you in this beautiful truth that David knows is true. Maybe you don't feel close, but I know that your right hand holds on to me. We'll come back to that verse in just a little bit. But Christian, understand this, just because... Following God may not be easy at this moment. It doesn't mean that God is not near to you. And sometimes we can think that. But just because God isn't, isn't easy and life with God isn't easy doesn't mean that God isn't near to you. What it means is that you live in a broken world where sin sometimes creeps in. And what it does is it brings these dark clouds that can kind of hide the Son of God from us. And what we need to do in those times is not passively sit there, but actively pursue him with all that we have, engaging every part of our body, clinging to our brothers and sisters in Christ and waiting for those dark clouds to pass. Eventually they will. 
But our relationship with God, church, is not void of effort. It's not void of effort. There is a call from time to actively pursue. What does this look like? What do we do when we find ourselves in a wilderness season? Um, Church, here's one of the things I took from this. I just thought about how David is engaging his whole body. It's a reminder for us that sometimes in the midst of real painful seasons of life, it's not just enough to start reading our Bibles again. That's maybe one thing, but it's reading our Bibles, and I think we need to then start praying and gathering up with people to pray. So it's reading our Bibles and prayer. It's, it's engaging our, our minds and our eyes and our hearts, and we need to open our hearts up and then sing songs and let God move in that in, in prayer by submitting our hearts to him, surrendering our hearts to him. It's typically all of these things. It's, it's prayer. It's worship. It's opening the scriptures. It's gathering with our brothers and sisters in Christ and pursuing, walking arm in arm, step by step together. It's all of these things. And sometimes we just like, when we're in a funk, we just go, I'm gonna, I'll try, I try to get myself to read my Bible. But it's like, it's all of these things. We need to push ourselves to actively pursue him. So we see David establishes God as a North Star. We see him active in his pursuit of God, but also this part as well, incredibly important. Notice here that David's motivation is not just sheer discipline, like self-will, or even blind faith. What motivates David to be active in his pursuit is a reflection on God's goodness. There's a longing for God, right? It moves to reflection on God's goodness and it ends in praise. Watch how he reflects on God's goodness here. I'll go back to verse one and just reread this. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry and desolate and without water. So I gaze on you. This is like past tense language. He's reflecting on times of worship that he's had with God in the past and ways he's seen God's full beauty and his goodness. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. If you've got a pen in your hand, circle that phrase, faithful love. I've coined this phrase. I didn't steal this from anybody else. Uh, No other commentary had this one. This could even be wrong, possibly. But I... I'm gonna call this a John 6:68 moment for David. And what I mean about a John 6:68 moment for David is in John 6, if you read John 6, the chapter begins with masses of people following Jesus. And over the course of that chapter, he starts to say some pretty challenging things to them, and it causes many of them to begin walking away from Jesus. And while the masses are beginning to disperse Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, are you going to leave me as well? And one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, looks back at him and he says, Jesus, where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Where where else would I go? I believe this is like the same for David. It's like life is terrible at this point. I'm I'm experiencing tremendous pain, but God, where else would I go? Right, because I've, I've tasted and seen what the world has to offer, and it's dry, it's desolate, it's like this place I'm living in. Only you actually offer what satisfies. Only you offer faithful love. Where else would I go? Where else would I go? God's faithful love is better than life. 
Because eventually the high wears off, the vacation ends. And reality sets in. Church, that phrase, faithful love, I want to draw your attention to it. I don't know your story, but at least in my story, guys, it wasn't the fear of hell that brought me to Jesus. Maybe that played a small part of it when I gave my life to Christ when I was 16 years old. But what brought me to Jesus, what won my affections and what has kept my affections on Christ is not the fear of hell, it's the beauty of his faithful love. Like my, my story, when I was a 16-year-old kid kind of searching for my identity, I remember running headlong into the world where, you know how this works in high school. It's like, as long as you drink enough beers on Friday night, you're going to have some friends. But my relationship with those friends was always conditional. As long as I did certain things to earn their affections, I could be their friend. That's how it worked. And I remember chasing that time and time again, pursuing the things of this world, trying to earn everybody's affirmation and affections. And what was wild to me, what, what finally dawned on me, it was in the midst of it, because I was in a Bible study, I was talking with friends about Jesus. It's in the midst of it, I'm like, this is stupid. Like I spent all of this energy chasing after these conditional affections of my peers when all along, here is God's unconditional love for me, just constantly pursuing me and chasing me down. Why do I push that away to chase this? This is what I long for, right? The greatest longing of every human heart, I believe, is faithful love. It's why it's the subplot of every Hollywood movie. We're all craving, longing for, dying for this type of love that never fades even though time goes on. It doesn't cool off depending on what I did yesterday or how I'm doing today. And this type of love that never dies. All of our lives is wrapped around the pursuit of finding not just love, but faithful love, everlasting love, eternal love. And it's found in only one person, and that's Jesus. And that hit me like a tidal wave when I was 16 years old. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, have you experienced that? You've been overwhelmed by the faithful love of God. And it's reflection on God's faithful love that causes David to just explode into praise. And I love this, guys. It's unconditional praise. Look at that in verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. Notice he doesn't say, I will bless you. So, like if you change my circumstances, if the pain goes away, I will bless you. He's just saying here, no, I long for you. I'm reflecting on your goodness. And I'm just saying right now in the midst of everything that's going on around me, sitting in the midst of this wilderness, nothing changes. Regardless of what happens now or in the future, I will bless you as long as I live. You have won my affections. You have gained my total trust. I know that you are the rock of which I stand. That's it. That's a beautiful place to be in the midst of pain, church. Even if you don't take away this diagnosis, this injury, this disease, this pain, this brokenness, this hurt, I will bless your name as long as I live. 
All right, so now let's move on to the second part, right? I said that there's kind of two distinct units here that are complementary that move from starting with a longing for God into a reflection first on the first part on the goodness of God, this one now on the justice of God, and then ends with praise. So let's jump in to verse 6. Again, notice David's active posture in the midst of pain, not pulling away from God, but pressing in. He says, when I think of you as I lie in bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. Right At night when David is restless, he's hiding sleep to be hard to come by. He's, he's laying there in bed. He's, he's, he's overwhelmed by anxiety and those things. What he does is he fixes his mind on God. He meditates on God during the night watches. Church, there's an encouragement for us here. Real simply, if life gets overwhelming for you and it's hard to sleep, instead of just tossing and turning in bed, that's a great time to pray, to meditate, to think on what is it that I've read most recently in Scripture and let that be on the forefront of your mind, not, not what you're fearful of, not what you're anxious about, letting that be at the forefront of your mind. But what gives David peace is not only that he sit under the shadow of God's wings, which is meant to communicate that he sits under the care of God, right? Like an like a eagle would maybe spread its wings over its children. Not only does he sit under the, the shadow of God's wings, but what gives him peace is that he's held by God's grip. I want to go back to verse 8 and hit this again. I follow close to you, but my confidence isn't in, in my strength of my pursuit, right? It's your right hand holds on to me. What gives David tremendous peace in this is that he knows that his security in God isn't built on the strength of his pursuits, but on the strength of God's grip on his life. And so now he moves from being encouraged by God's goodness, and now he'll focus in on God's justice. So how does God's justice encourage us? That might be a good question in your mind. Like, all right, like, help me figure this one out. We're going to talk about God's justice and how that should encourage us. Here, here's, here's why God's justice should encourage us. Guys, if you've ever been in a painful situation and found yourself going, this isn't right. right anybody know what I'm talking about? Painful situations, looking at anyone, this is not right. It's not fair. What's incredibly encouraging in the midst of that time is knowing that one day everything wrong will eventually be made right. That eventually God is gonna take everything that hurts, everything that was unfair, everything that was wrong, and he's eventually going to make it right. That's why when people will say, well, oh my God's not a God of judgment, he's a God of love. I'm like, that can't be. In order for God to be loving, he has to be also a God of justice. These two things are intertwined. So David thinks about his circumstances and instead of growing angry or bitter or starting to plot out personal revenge, what he does in this passage is it reflects on the justice of God and he entrusts himself to God's judgment, to the one who judges justly. If anybody's ever been in a spot like this before, you know this for a fact, that's not easy to do, okay? Right? We talked about before how painful life can be and how especially painful it can be when somebody else is the person that's causing you pain, right? 
For David in this situation, we talked about this, this was his son. It's incredibly difficult to not be overwhelmed by bitterness, anger, frustration, but to be overwhelmed and overcome by something else like confidence and praise. For David, it was his son. Guys, for, for me, a personal story. Guys, this, this past spring, I found myself in a spot where I was being attacked by somebody I, I would have considered to be a friend. I know the unique pain that another person can cause somebody. What was easy for me in the midst of that situation was to get angry. I, I wanted, honestly, when I was being hurt, I wanted to hurt back. I felt like on, minimally I should at least defend myself. That'd be the right thing. To, like, that's what I wanted. I wanted to justify myself in front of people and explain why my response would be right if I did that. In the midst of this spring, God, by his grace and by his mercy, taught me a couple of things that were life-changing for me. The first was that recognition, like in the midst of pain, especially when somebody else causes you pain. Um, guys, often the emotion that's most natural for me is anger. The better emotion for me is grief. In fact, I would maybe throw this out there more broadly, because um, I think for me, probably 98% of the time that I get angry, the better, more godly emotion for me would have been grief. And I've been trying to move those two things in my world a bit, to replace those times when I get anger, angry to times when I get full of grief. Because what grief often does for me is it causes me not to look at a situation like this and want to retaliate. What I do is I look at it and I go, oh God, it's heartbreaking that there's this brokenness between us. And I pray, which is a way better response than being angry and thinking about how I'm going to retaliate, how I'm going to respond, how I'm going to get them back. That was the first thing that God taught me this spring. The second thing that God did for me that was a grace gift is through the men's and women's Bible study that we did this spring, he took us to 1 Peter. Everybody else was in 1 Peter this spring? It was these verses that caught me. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself, key words here, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. It would be wrong of me to plan out my personal revenge and to go after it. No, no, no. And David models it for us here in Psalm 63 and longing for God and reflecting on God's justice going, God, I know that you're eventually going to deal with this. Whether in this life or the life to come, I will entrust myself to your judgment, to the one who judges justly. That's not easy, but that's what we should do when life is painful, especially when somebody else is the reason for our pain. I want you to take a moment now, let your eyes just kind of scan across Psalm 63, 
And I want to draw your attention to one last thing here as we close our time together. Honestly, this didn't even hit me until a couple of days ago in my study. David, again, is in the midst of incredible pain. And notice here, he just penned 11 verses. This song, this prayer. And he gets to the end of it, and he never asked God for anything. You see that? Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong in the times of pain to cry out to God to relieve you of your suffering or your pain or provide a miracle or something, but it, it is just worth noting that in this entire psalm, David never asked God for anything. Psalm 63 is an incredible example of what Jake talked about a few weeks ago when he was quoting a Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, we need to speak to our emotions, not listen to them. This is one of those where David is directing his heart's affections, right? When it would have been easy to be overwhelmed by life and be led toward bitterness and anxiety, what David does is he directs his heart and he gets to a place of confidence and praise as he moves from a place of initial lament to a place of just confidence and praise. I've just begun to ask myself the question, what if God did that with all of us here at Candeo Church? Like, what, what kind of impact would that have on our community? What kind of impact would that have on our world? Like, our name means light. We're, we're as a church, we're Candeo Church, we want to be a light in a dark place. Guys, what an incredible testimony it would be to the watching world that in the midst of life, which is incredibly painful, that we as a church would not be a people marked by bitterness, anxiety, fear, worry, those things, but actually we're a people that in the midst of all of those things, in the midst of wounds from a person that was close to us, in the midst of that awful diagnosis, in the midst of a landscape of a society that continues to change in ways that maybe we don't like, that in the midst of that, instead of responding in ways that are natural to sinful human beings, anxiety, fears, rage, those things, what described us was a steady confidence and ongoing praise of God, who's in control of it all, who is completely good and completely just in all things, and still at work. What would God do with that kind of church? What would he do with you and your neighborhood if you were that kind of person? I think three things would happen. I think number one, the world around us would take notice. I think number two, people would begin to believe that our God is real. And number three, people would begin to want what we have. And church, those three things have been echoed in my prayers throughout this week for us, that those things would be true and who we are and who God has continued to work in us to be. I would love to join you in prayer for those things.
Now, would you pray with me? Yeah, God, we continue to ask and plead that by your mercy and in your great goodness, would you do such an abundantly beautiful work among us that even in the midst of the worst circumstances of life, that there would be just a steady joy. It's why it's our mission statement to help people find their greatest joy in Jesus and why we use the word joy more than just happiness or something else because those other words just seem a bit flippant. They, pay, they pass, there's, there's high moments, there's low moments. What we wanna be is a people of just consistent, steady joy. And it's not flimsy surface level, it's deep and rich, so deep that it doesn't matter what happens on the surfaces of our lives, we are steady and anchored to you as our rock. We have you as an unmovable refuge. We have you as a fixed point in our lives, regularly giving us direction and continuing to shape us, Lord. Regardless of how we feel, regardless of what the world says, regardless of whether it's a sunny day or a rainy day, that you, God, continue to keep us in your grip, you hold on to us. And would you continue to remind us regularly of your goodness, of your justice, that give us sure hope. We love you, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.